uh, I remember being in a Sunday school class, and uh, my friend's mom had come in, and she said, hey, Mike, uh, they're doing the Sunday school class, or sorry, the uh, baptism class, because there was a class you had to go through before you could be baptized, and, and she asked him if he was going, and he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to go. And so I, being Mike's friend, was like, oh, yeah, I want to go too. So I went with him. Uh, and so I got baptized as a little kid. Uh, and then growing up uh, and leaving the home and being out on my own, uh, I kind of felt like I, I wasn't following Christ at all. Uh, and so after getting involved at the church that I was involved with down in Mississippi, uh, I felt convicted of sins. And I felt as if that was the time in my life when I was truly uh, convicted of my sins and I turned away from my sins and to Christ and so uh, after a long conversation with the pastor there uh, we decided that it was probably uh, that I was not a Christian when I was baptized as a little kid and so uh, I got baptized again and this was around the age of 20 21 and so uh, so that's my story about being baptized uh, so for me uh, I grew up in a Christian home and um was obviously in church quite a bit. My parents were, were faithful and serving in the church we grew up in. And uh, there was a Sunday evening uh, service that we had. I still remember uh, a little bit about uh, the, the sermon. Uh, as the pastor was closing, he was talking about heaven and hell and about if it were not for our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that we would be condemned to hell. And, and I think that was the first time that I ever really got to thinking about the consequences of, of sin. Now, I was young. But I understood that I definitely did not want to go to hell, and I wanted to be in heaven. And so I uh, began to talk with my mom and dad about uh, what it meant to be a follower of Christ and how someone would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What, what does that look like? What does that mean for someone to believe in Jesus? And so um, my, my dad uh, got, his, got his Bible, and mom and dad read scripture to me. They asked me questions. And as we looked at scripture and, and answered questions, I, I, I already had the, the head knowledge, right? I already knew the answers to many of the questions, but it was the belief and true belief in my heart that, that was uh, what was missing for me. So uh, through, through that conversation, uh, I, I repented of my sins in prayer um, and uh, became a believer in Jesus Christ. And so um, we, uh, you know, in, in, in this focus of February, we talk about the the walking the aisle uh, portion. So we, we, we were at church the following Sunday morning and I was able to uh, come forward and let the, let the church know that I had become a believer in Jesus Christ. And um, it was a short time after that, I don't know if it was a Sunday or so after that, um, we, we had a, a scheduled baptism and family was there and was able to be, to be baptized. And um, so that's, that's my story of, of my salvation experience in baptism. I got saved when I was 12 years old. Um, we weren't really involved in church, and um, shortly after that, got baptized. All right, good. Uh, uh, I think I kind of shared with you a little bit over the last few weeks, um, but I grew up in a Presbyterian church. My family started going to church there when I was around five years old, I think, uh, right before I started kindergarten. Um, and, and so I was not baptized uh, as an infant. We talked about Presbyterians, how b believers and their children are baptized, but we were not going to church there. Uh, we were not going to church anywhere when I was an infant, so I was not baptized as an infant. Um, but when I was 11 years old, uh, the pastor had a, I'm not sure if he called it a confirmation class, but it was something like that. Um, and he had several um, of the kids that were, 
you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old that had not been baptized yet and had a Sunday school class for us uh, for four weeks. And in those classes, he talked about uh, the gospel, about what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a church member, what baptism is, what the Lord's Supper is, these, these different things. Um, and then the, the last week, the fourth week of that class was on Easter Sunday. And if, um, if any of us wanted to be baptized and thought we were ready to be baptized, then we could. Um, and so I, so I was on Easter Sunday, um, I think it was 1991 when I was 11 years old. Um, uh, but then later in life, as I, as I continued, you know, reading the Bible and in, in Sunday school classes and, and those kind of things, um, I began to, to question whether I was really a believer at that time. Did I do that just because all the other kids were doing it, um, or, uh, or, or what? And so as I was in high school, I was going to youth camp. I got involved with, I was still part of that church, but also got involved in a, in a Baptist church that several of my friends were members of, um. And I went to, to youth camp with them one summer, and that's when I think the Lord saved me. It was July, the, I think it was July 31st, 1997, uh, or maybe the 29th or something like that. But it was in the summer of 1997 uh, at, at that summer camp. Uh, and so then we got back to, got back home, and a few weeks later, um, I didn't want to be baptized in the Baptist church because uh, I, I don't know if this is right or not, but I understood baptism to be connected to church membership there, and I didn't want to join the church. I wanted to stay a part of the church where my, where my family was, were members. Uh, but I did, had come to believe that, that immersion uh, of believers was the right way to be baptized. And so uh, one night at a, at a youth, youth, uh, youth group meeting on a Sunday night, we had a youth group at a, at a member's house. And me and there was another, another uh, teenage boy uh, were baptized in the swimming pool at that house. And several of the church members were there. Um, it was it was like a church, small church service there at this lady's house, uh, but I didn't join the the Baptist church at that time. Yeah. All right, we want to open it up to uh, to any questions that, that you all may have. I've got some other questions written down here and and, uh, and some things for us to answer maybe as as we close. But uh, any any questions that that you all have, feel free to raise your hand. We should offer prizes for who goes first. <laughs> Anyone want to be first? Yep, Garth. Yeah, um, it's hard to tell if somebody's converted. It really is. And because of the way we believe of baptism, we're trying to make sure they're converted, right? And um, that's why a lot of times, especially the younger a person is, they can just learn to say the right things. Um, the more we talk to them, I think we want to have conversations about convictions those are hard conversations to have with people. A lot of people don't want to be honest about what they're convicted about or if they're repenting of it. Once you kind of learn after a sermon like this morning that repentance is a really big deal, 
then you kind of learn to say, you know, I repented. Um, but I, I like to have conversations about, are you convicted? Why? And what are you doing about it? Good. Uh, sorry for the guys in the sound booth. I forgot to repeat that question. The very first one, and I forgot to, sorry. Uh, the, question, the question that Josh just answered was, um, how do you help people think through a situation like Pastor Jake was talking about where someone had been baptized and then later in life uh, was questioning whether they should have been baptized or, or if they were really saved then or, or, or not? Um, kind of a follow-up question to that for, uh, for Jake and for Matt. Um, so Josh kind of answered that question. Um, how would you all counsel someone specifically uh, Jake, who's up until recently, you were working mainly with our high school students. Matt, you work mainly with our, with our children. Um, how do you all counsel uh, young, younger kids and teenagers especially uh, whenever some come, someone comes to you even for the first time and says, I think I want to get baptized? What kind of conversation do you have with them? How do you help them think through that as younger kids and as teenagers? Uh, oftentimes we hear that with younger kids, right? So the, 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 one of the things that they see most visibly in the church service is they see the baptism. And especially when you have uh, a, a young person who is, has been saved and is professing Christ as their Lord and they're baptized, their friends do see that, kind of to your point. Um, they, they, they see that and oftentimes that makes them begin to think about it, which is good. Uh, but we have to be careful because many times kids will come to me and they'll say, Mr. Matt, I want to be baptized. And I always respond with, awesome, but let's talk about what we believe about Jesus. And so we try to turn that conversation back to a conversation that is a salvific conversation, which is more about what has Christ done? Do we understand sin? Do we understand what it means for us to, to be a believer in Jesus Christ? Do we understand what it means to repent of sin and, and really focus more on uh, their belief in who Jesus is because if we begin to ask those questions and I think jo Josh was kind of alluding to that as, as he was saying uh, talking to older people about um, where are they at with their belief in Christ where they believe about Christ are they convicted we need to answer those things kind of first and foremost and then we can talk about baptism and so for me we, we start there with the questions about sin and questions about what does it mean to repent of sin uh, what is the penalty for sin? Uh, how is the, the power of sin broken in our life? And, and how can our problem with God be resolved? And who did that for us, right? And, and, and I think kids can absolutely be in church and memorize answers from Sunday school because they are being taught sound doctrine as they're being taught through the classes and as parents work with them. Many times they can memorize answers and give you all of the answers, but that's the reason why we try to have multiple people talk to them. So we have parents, grandparents, guardians who talk to the kids. They'll talk to me, and oftentimes they'll also talk with, with Pastor Josh. And, and so we'll, between all of us talking, try to discern, is the kid just saying things, or are they confident, and are they really believing? What we're trying to do as, uh, as stewards of, uh, of someone is to discern what God is doing in their heart. We're not doing anything in that person's heart. It is between them and the Lord. And so we're trying to discern what God is doing in their heart. Are they genuinely believing? And if we're confident, there's no reason at all we would ever want to discourage anyone from following the Lord uh, by making a profession of faith in front of the church, being baptized. Those are absolutely things that we don't want to stand in the way of, but we just don't want to do um, a quick car wash type Christianity where 
we simply say, just come forward and repeat this after me and we'll dunk you and then you're good for life. Uh, that's not what we want to do. I think uh, at times in the past, churches have been guilty of that. And, and I think it's important for us to be good stewards and, and to guide them uh, the best that we can in the path of righteousness. And so pointing them to scripture, praying with them, talking to them at different times. So a lot of times there's a couple days in between when Josh will talk to them and I will talk to them. And I think sometimes uh, we can even tell from our conversations if, you know, maybe it doesn't seem like they, they understand what they're doing. And if that happens, which it does, parents don't be discouraged if we tell you that we're not really sure that they're ready or they're 100% understanding. I've had that conversation once or twice uh, here and it, it is, it's not an awkward conversation because I hope you have the same heart and desire for your children that I have, that they would fully understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ before they're baptized. We wanna know that they're saved and, and, and that God has worked that in their heart before we baptize them because we don't wanna give them some sort of false sense of security. Uh, and so we're doing our best as we work together to, to understand where they're at and, and, and do that prior to, uh, to baptizing them. So that's, that's kind of the approach that we take uh, with, the, with the children's ministry. Yeah, and I think sometimes uh, our natural tendency is to ask pointed questions and expect specific answers, you know, answers that we've taught them or things that they should know if they're saying that they're a believer. But I think sometimes it's more helpful to avoid that and just kind of ask general questions about, well, what does it mean to be a sinner? And what does it mean to be forgiven? And what does it mean to repent? And what does it mean that Jesus is our Savior? Uh, and kind of get them talking and, and just from their own words explain what it is that how they understand those things. And that'll kind of give us a good insight on, okay, yeah, they do have a good grasp of the gospel, right? They're not just regurgitating answers. Uh, so that's sometimes a good a good uh, way to go about it. But also at the end of the day, uh, it's not up to us as to whether or not uh, they are believers or not when they get in the water, right? We can't see the heart, right? God sees the heart, but we don't. Uh, we observe the, the fruit that's coming from their lives. We obviously have those conversations, uh, but if they're not a believer, right, if it turns out that, that they never were believing, uh, I don't think there's any guilt on our conscience. You know, we, we do what we can. We trust the Lord with the rest. Uh, and, you know, we're not gonna, just going to get anybody in the baptistry who says they want to be baptized. We're obviously going to uh, have a lot of those conversations. But, um, yeah. Thanks. I, th I think it's important for us to remember, too, that if somebody gets baptized and they aren't really a believer, that doesn't mean we've done something wrong. And I know that we feel that sometimes. Uh, I know that there's a little bit of that, like we need to really, really make sure. But it's possible for people to fall away if we are doing due, due diligence up front and asking them if they're trusting in Christ and they're repenting of their sins. If somebody gets baptized and then ends up not really being a believer, that, that feels bad and that's unfortunate and we don't like that, but it doesn't mean that we did something wrong. And just knowing that and saying that out loud is, is helpful. Well, and even in those conversations, uh, whoever is talking to, whether it be a child or a, or a teenager or an adult, um, we're relying on, we're asking some guiding questions and, and, and like Jake said, some pointed questions, but we're relying on that person, whoever that is, to answer those questions and to kind of examine themselves in that way. And all we can go off is, is what they say. And so it's possible for someone to have convinced themselves that they've repented and believed when, when they really haven't. And so it sounds like they have by the answers they're giving, uh, but, but either 
Um, it could possibly be someone who's trying to fake their way in, into a church or more likely someone who maybe is just mistaken about themselves and uh, maybe thinks that they've repented and believed when really they, really they haven't. Good. Any other questions? Uh-huh. Ben? Yeah. So his question is, how, how do we deal with someone who thinks that they're saved um, but we don't really see any fruit in their lives. Anybody want that one? Uh, I will, I'll go first. Um, so we want to, as um, brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to come alongside them, right? Not to berate them, not to beat them about the head with our large King James Bible, but we want to encourage them and to, uh, to remind them of what Scripture says, right? And Scripture is pretty clear about us showing fruit if we are believers. And if, if we profess Christ, but yet we're living like the world, we're, we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to others. And so as, uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are close with someone who is living in that way, I believe it is our responsibility, it's our duty uh, to our Lord and Savior and to our uh, brother or sister in Christ to encourage them by not giving our opinion, but by quoting what scripture has said and reminding them that, you know, these things that we're doing uh, as we live like the world, we're, we're harming the cause of Christ. We're, we're not living consistent with what scripture has said. And if we have renounced the world to follow the Lord, then we need to follow the Lord. We can't serve two masters. And those conversations are not easy. I, I'm saying this pretty easily, but these are not easy conversations. But if they're done in love and if they're done with I, I think uh, bathed in prayer and backed up by scripture, uh, God will bless you in those conversations. And there's, there is scripture that talks about uh, us going to help to restore a brother, right? I mean, we have those scriptures that talk to us about restoring a brother who's, who's gone astray. And we, we absolutely want to love them enough to have that hard conversation. Good. And, and notice Pastor Matt didn't say, this is what the pastors do. Right there, there is a there is a place in in that biblical process where 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 church leaders, pastors, and then the whole church at at, at the end point come into play. But at the beginning of that, that's just believer on believer, friend on friend, church member on church member, having these private conversations. You know, um, church church discipline kind of gets a gets a bad rap sometimes. Um, but and, and and we think of church, you know if we think about like how many times has church discipline been done in our church over the past 25 years, let's say, right? We would probably think of maybe one, maybe two examples where, quote, church discipline was done. But, but the reality is it, church discipline should be happening and really is happening all the time. It just never gets to the, to the point to where um, the pastors get involved or the, church, the whole church as a whole gets involved because when we go to one another individually, where the person responds in repentance and says, you know, you're right, I haven't really thought about that and maybe I should change that and, and, and that, that should be happening all the time and, um, and that's, that's church discipline also. It just doesn't ever get to the higher points because like Matt said, the person has come back. We have brought the person back, right? Good. Other questions? I'll ask another one that, uh, that someone sent in while you're thinking. Um, maybe Josh for this one. Why do, why do we not do baby dedications here? Hmm. 
that didn't have anything to do with baptism, <laughs> but. <laughs> right. Um, well, but I think, yeah. I think the connection, the person that asked the question, the connection was that other churches do infant baptism, and a lot of times Baptist churches don't do infant baptism, but do yeah. infant dedications, baby dedications yeah. instead. The easy answer is that I don't think we've ever done them here. They weren't doing them when I arrived here. Um, the six years that I was here, not as the pastor, they weren't doing them. Um, so I think that's the easy answer. When, when, when do you start? Um, uh, we've never discussed it, so we've just never brought it up to start it. Um, I will say that uh, you don't see anything like that in the Bible at all. It's not in the New Testament, a baby dedication. Um, seems to me, and my tendency is to say yes to about any good suggestion, Seems to me that they're definitely, that they are, I guess I shouldn't say seems definitely, seems to me that they are um, a feel-good type of thing that you do because they are really special. It would be so nice if every baby just got up here with whoever. Um, but I'll be honest, it also sounds pretty complicated to figure out who you say yes to and who do you not say yes to, all right? There are a lot of, a lot of babies that are born and... Um, which ones, which parents want to get up here and which ones don't. Um, again, I, we've never done them, so um, getting into all of that right now doesn't necessarily sound like anything that, um, that I'm interested in, but we've never, never discussed it. And that's probably my answer. Other questions? Yep, Drew. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so Drew's question is, is baptism in the Old Testament? Anybody itching to take that one on? I mean, I'll say that, um, you know, in, in the Old Testament itself, um, I can't think of any examples of, like, explicit examples of, of baptism happening in the Old Testament itself. Um, I, I could be wrong about that, and we'll want to go back and, 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 and look at that in more detail if you kind of press me on it. Um, but in that kind of historical period, especially right up before the, uh, right up before the New Testament, there were um, records of ceremonial cleansing. You know, like in the Old Testament, you would have to, uh, to before you went into the temple, you'd have to do cer ceremonial washings and things like that. Um, there are records of, of those kind of things um, in the period right before the New, the New Testament where people would, would cleanse their, even like their houses, their utensils, their, their, their beds, their tables, things like that. Um, and this is one argument that some people use for baptism not being, not having to be immersion, because in some of those texts, in, in most of those texts, the word baptism is used, or the word baptize is used to, to baptize your utensils, to baptize your table. And so the argument is that, um, you wouldn't be immersing a whole table into, into water. You would just be washing it or, or sprinkling water on it. Um, going into the New Testament, though, you see John the Baptist, and he's baptizing, uh, but he specifically says that he's baptizing with the baptism of repentance. Um, it, it could almost be looked at as like a purification of the people. They're purifying themselves, wanting to show their devotion to God, which is indifferent than um, baptism after, after Jesus' death. Um, 
So, so there are some of the, that kind of historical stuff where, where they were doing those things, but not, but not for the same reason, not to show, not to publicly profess that they have repented and, and trusted in Jesus as their savior. So there's some similar things in, in, in the background, but not specifically what we would consider New Testament baptism. The only thing that I, I was thinking of uh, to go along with what, uh, what Josh was saying was uh, the priests were required to wash in certain ways and put on linen clothing before they would go into the Holy of Holies. And um, I, I think that that's maybe another example of using water to cleanse yourself before coming into the Lord's presence. Um, and while, again, not exactly the exact same thing that we're talking about in the New Testament, they were, um, they were commanded uh, to, to do that, that cleansing or wash themselves with water. And uh, I, I think as we look in the Old Testament, uh, along with the examples Josh, Josh has given, those are, those are things that maybe give us a glimpse at things that were to come in the New Testament, uh, the requirement for the cleansing with water. Yeah. In the New Testament, too, there, there are at least a couple examples where uh, the flood with Noah is used kind of metaphorically as a baptism. Um, and then also the, uh, the Hebrew people uh, leaving Egypt and coming through the Red Sea, uh, passing through the Red Sea into the, into the, on their way to the Promised Land. I think, I think that's metaphorically pictured as baptism in the New Testament as well. But again, that's not the same thing as New Testament Christian baptism. Other questions? All right, I got one here for um, question. Oh, there is one. Yep. Oh, Edgar. Jake, you want that one? You hadn't answered it. You hadn't answered it in a little while. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, in the New Testament, right? We've got Jesus or John the Baptist actually saying, you know, I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think what he's referring to is. Uh, you know, when we are baptized, we are unified with Christ, right? It, Paul talks about this in Romans 6, meaning picture, uh, baptism is a picture of uh, our death, right? The old, the old self is dying and being buried, just as Christ was, uh, died and was buried, uh, and then is raised to newness of life. And I think that the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, means that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do uh, the work that God has given us to do. Uh, and so I don't know that I have a great deal of detail to go into for you, uh, but I would say that that's what's being referred to with the baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we know that those who are believers who are trusting in Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know if anybody else has something else they'd like when, to add. When, when would you say that happens? Being filled with the Holy Spirit? For a believer. Yep. Um, at the moment of, of faith. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that that's not uh, happening at the moment of baptism. I would say when we believe, right, when we place our faith in Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians 1, right? He gives the Holy Spirit to us as a guarantee 
uh, of our inheritance that we will receive uh, in the last day. Uh, and so I believe that that happens at faith, not at baptism. I don't think I repeated that question either for the recording. So the, the question Jake just answered was, we've been talking for the last month about baptism uh, in, in water. Um, how does that relate to and what do we believe about baptism in the Holy Spirit? That, so that's the question Jake was answering. For, for us Baptists, though, that, that's pretty clear. Baptism of the Holy Spirit in, in other denominations becomes something other, but for us... That's what God does when he saves you. When you're born again, when you're made new, when you accept Christ, when God converts you into his child, the Holy Spirit comes in you and fills you and you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if you want an example of this in scripture, you can look at Acts chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 34. Uh, Peter is preaching to the Gentiles. He's sharing the good news with them. And if you skip down over the message, which obviously is the gospel message that Peter is sharing when you get to 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. And then Peter responds, and he says, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to stay for a few days. So see, we, we have here the word of God being preached, people hearing the message, people believing, people receiving the Holy Spirit, and then people being commanded to then be baptized since they had believed, which follows along with what, what we had just said. Other questions? To follow up on that John Baptist thing, um, uh, maybe from kids' books or kids' ministries or whatever, we talk a lot about how weird John the Baptist was, and everybody knows that he had big, long hair and camel's uh, fur, and he ate bugs and locusts and honey. We've all heard all that. But really what makes John the Baptist so unique was here he was, this guy, heralding the kingdom. The Savior is coming soon. You need to get ready. And the way you got ready was to get in water and be immersed. So the uniqueness of John the Baptist is, one, his, his, his message in a newest and freshest way, um, but also that he was baptizing. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but his baptism was different than later baptism. John's baptism, John the Baptist's baptism was, this is a symbol, this is how you're showing that you're repenting of your, your life and you want to turn back to God, or you're ready for God to do what he's going to do next. Um, and New Testament baptism, after Jesus' death and, and resurrection is, I'm repenting of my sins and trusting specifically in that, not just in what's coming next, whatever God's going to do, not, that I'm re not, not just showing that I'm ready for God to to do something, but that I have repented and believed and I'm trusting in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, my point was that when you read the New Testament and you hear John the Baptist baptizing, you think that's normal because we've all been around baptism. But if you're reading the Bible from Genesis and you get to the New Testament, all of a sudden it says John the Baptist is baptizing, you're like, well, what is, what is that? Because we haven't heard about baptism the whole way through. That, that's what I was meaning. What makes John the Baptist so unique in a lot of ways is that he baptizes, not so much what he eats or how he dresses. Other questions? Uh-huh, Isaiah, Isaiah. 
So the question is, what will we say to churches or missionaries or believers in, uh, in other parts of the world where the climates are harsher than here, where there's not enough water um, to, to, to practice baptism? What, what will we say to that? Anybody? I love these type of questions, by the way. On Wednesday and Thursday mornings, we've been going through Acts, and it's just been, we just finished it, by the way, but it's been pushing us to think outside of our context. Revelation is doing that too, right? The whole world is experiencing things in, in different ways, and it's good for us to remember that. Um, so that's a great question. There are places where it's not easy to baptize, right? We've actually seen videos where people are getting baptized, and it's 20 degrees below and they have to saw through the ice to get in there and they still do it and sometimes they say well how about we wait till the warm season and they they, they don't they still do it um I, I i don't know what i would say to that isaiah except for that they would they would just find a way to make it work either they do them one time a year where they take a trip to where some water is or they do it one time a year where they take a trip and bring in some water um i don't think you change what baptism is i think they just adjust a little bit maybe they don't have this and do it every sunday but they find a way to do it well and and even even when there's if it's a place where there's not very much water uh you can still collect water right i mean we don't have a ton of water here we don't have like a lake outside that we go to but we have a place where we can collect water it's easier for us because we have you know plumbing and all that kind of stuff but even in a in a climate where there's not much water um so there's not like rivers or lakes or whatever they still have water that they're drinking and they have some source of, of getting water. And so it may be more difficult, it may take longer, may, like you're saying, may have to like save it up over time and do a lot of baptisms all at once. Um, but, but also I think it would be better if you're in a situation like that where there's absolutely no access to water, I think it would be better to not be baptized than to try to change baptism into you know, we're going to baptize in, we don't have water, so we're going to baptize in rice, or for oh, example, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It would be better to not be baptized than to try to substitute something else other than water uh, to use in a context like that. You say you have a follow-up question? That's great. Now, you're a good thinker, Isaiah. <laughs> this is how we're supposed to think. Our, our answers are not in a box, you know, and the, and the scriptures don't even tell us these things you know, super clear like that. So we, we should think that. I, I, what I would say is we don't know because we're not in that context, but those churches absolutely have an answer for that, you know. Uh, we don't know. It could be that they have to wait a year to get baptized, and so that person's waiting to take the Lord's Supper. I don't, I don't know. Or it could be that they have another way around it. Um, I don't know what their answer would be. But I, I would say I'm not the guy to answer that, um, or we're not necessarily. Maybe those guys have an answer. I don't know. <laughs> but talking to somebody in that context, that they know how to handle it. Yeah. You know, we, we've had a lot of conversations over the past several months and even year about what to do with, with COVID and, and online, online uh, services and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is that there's some situations in life, even here with like, um, like people that are homebound or like our shut-ins list on our on our um, on the back of our of our Wednesday night prayer list, um, there's some situations that just make it to where, as unfortunate as it is, as hard of a situation it is, as much as we wish it was different, there's some situations that just make it to where there's certain things in church life that certain people can't experience. 
you know. Someone that's not able to leave their house is not able to experience the, the congregational singing on, on, a, on a gathered worship service, right? Now, we've, we can watch it online, but that's not the same thing as, as being here and being part of it, right? And, and so there's some, there's some unfortunate situations in life that, that make it to where not everything, not everyone is accessible to everything that, that we would like for them to be. Um, and that's, you know, that may be the case in, in, a, in a situation like that, you know? Think, think about someone that's like on their, in a hospital on their deathbed and, and they believe the gospel and trust in Jesus, repent of their sins, they're, they're saved. Some traditions would say, well, let's go since we, even some traditions that, that baptize by immersion would say in this situation, let's go and sprinkle this person or pour water on this person because they're in a hospital bed, they can't get out, they can't come to church, there's no way to immerse them. And so instead of them dying without being baptized, let's, let's do baptism some different way. And I think all of us would agree that in, in a situation like that, it, it's unfortunate and we'll do everything we can to, to try to uh, make immersion possible. But if immersion is not possible, then that just means that baptism is not possible in that, in that situation, you know. Yeah, so the, so the question, I, I, I think I understand the question. Um, it is, uh, so like someone who is, an, who is a baby um, we, and they're not able to believe at that point or even someone with like a mental handicap that's not able to believe at that point. Um, and, and so let's just go ahead and baptize, baptize them right away so that that way they're covered in case they, in case they die before they're able to believe or able to understand. Uh, that way they're covered, is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you say to someone who has like a, like a the example is like a two-year-old child that's that's dying of cancer or some other disease, and so they're not going to be able to, they're not going to reach an age where they're able to understand or or whatever. That's that's a really good question. Um, I think the first thing we would say is is what you just said. I think we want to talk about what baptism does. Um, that's why we spent two weeks um, in in this series talking about the why of baptism, or the or the what of baptism. Why do we do it? What does it do? I think the first conversation would be. Um, well, why do you want this baby to be baptized? Why do you want your, your, your toddler to be baptized? And that would open up conversations of what is baptism and what is the gospel and how are people saved? And, um, and, and hopefully, hopefully, you know, be able to explain that, that baptism doesn't really do anything if, if the person's not, not believing. Um, but of course, we, in a situation like that, we would want to, to, to listen as much or more than, than, we're, than we're talking and answering and being sensitive to them and loving and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, as far as what, what, what we could tell them that would be comforting to them, I think is um, that there are places in the Bible, the Bible never says outrightly what happens to a child who dies before they're able to believe or before they're um, able to be baptized in a right way and, and that kind of thing. But there are, there are at least two places in the Bible where 
there are hints that, uh, that God has a way of saving people in that situation, right? And, and one of those places is in the book of Job, where Job says it would have been better for him to have been stillborn than it would have been for him to be born and go through the things that he went through in life, right? And if, if a baby in a womb or if a young child like that, if when they die they go to hell, then it wouldn't be better for him to have been stillborn, right? The reason he says it would have been better for me to be stillborn is because the result of that would have been better than his life on earth. It was his argument. And then the other argument or the other example that you may be aware of is, is King David. He had, a, he had a child that was very sick when he was born. And so for the whole time the baby was sick, King David would, uh, would he, t- he wouldn't dress up like a king. He wore sackcloth and he was, um, he was mourning and he would go to, to pray for the, for the baby or for his, for his son over and over and over every day. Um, and then one day the child died. He, uh, he also wasn't eating or anything like that. And so the child died and his servants were afraid to tell him what happened. And so he could tell that, that something was wrong. They were acting weird. And he's like, tell me what's going on. And they said, uh, well, we were afraid because we didn't know how you were going to react. If you're acting this way, mourning this way for when he's sick, what would you do when we tell you that he's died? And, and when he found out the child had died, it says that David got up, took, took a shower, shaved, put his kingly robes on, um, had a feast and began to eat. And they were all confused. Like, what are, what are you doing? You were so upset when he was sick. Now you're having a party when he's dead. Like, you don't, you don't care that he's dead? And David said that when he was sick, he was praying and fasting because uh, he, was, he was praying that the Lord would heal him. And, and the Lord could have, but he chose not to. And so David said, now that, now that the baby has died, God's not going to bring him back to me, but one day I will go and be with him. And so David's hope, the comfort he got there was that wherever David's going when he dies to be with the Lord, that his, his child will be there as well and he'll be reunited with the Lord, right? And so we don't know how that happens. We don't know how that works. The Bible doesn't address that question directly. Um, but somehow through Jesus's blood, um, I believe the Bible hints at and, and, and gives us um, glimpses and, and, and uh, that, that those children are safe with the Lord. Uh-huh, Edgar.
Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, we should be focused on evangelism toward toward children, and and absolutely, maybe a follow up question to what you were saying, uh, and uh, Matt, if you want to take this one, or, or Josh, or, or Jake, or whoever. Um, what 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 place does bab- or what place should baptism have in in the life of a believer, um, especially as as regards like assurance of salvation? Uh, someone maybe 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, even after they've been baptized, or even two years after they've been baptized, and are starting to have doubts about whether they're really saved or not, um, should they look to their baptism as a foundation for assurance, or should that not play in that regard at all, or should it be part of that, or what, what do you guys think about that? I, I think it can be helpful, um, but we don't want it to become a stumbling block because our salvation is not in our baptism, right? Our salvation is in Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ. So I absolutely agree with what you said about uh, as we send our children out, as they've begun to be school-aged and they're going to school, we, we ought to be praying over them each and every day as they go out of the house. Uh, we want to pray that God would bring good, godly teachers into their life, that they would have good, godly friends, that they would be salt and light as they go out into the world as well, as as they understand and are taught at home, as they understand and are taught here at church. We want to continue to remind them of what God's word says about who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ has done for them, what Jesus Christ has done for the world, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, the fact that he is alive today. We want to fill them with the gospel as, as much as we have opportunity to. And we want to pray that God would, would take that seed of the gospel that's being planted in their hearts and make it grow, right? We want it to grow. We want it to have fruit. We want them to, to, to love the Lord. We want them to follow him all the days of their life. And, and certainly I, I would believe that the, the younger that children are, that, that we, we begin to work with them and teach them uh, about God and what God has done and his world and his creation, how we can see him in all things about his son, Jesus Christ. The, the sooner that we can do that, the more frequently we can do that, the more likely we are to see them at some point come to salvation. That's not a magical formula because God is the one who works in the heart to bring salvation. But certainly I believe as we, as we teach and as we work with young kids in our homes, because you have them way more than I have them in e-kids, right? Um, as we work together, we want to prayerfully ask God to, to, to save them, right? And so um, get, getting back to the, the discussion about uh, whether or not that uh, baptism should be something that reminds them, I, I think that it's good for us to know those things as we get older uh, and, and remind us that uh, we, we have professed faith in Christ and we were baptized, but my faith is not in, and I actually have a little Bible that was my Bible that I carried when I was little. My mom and dad saved it for me. Uh, it's a little brown Bible that's all worn and it's got a zipper on it, okay, which is interesting that it zips closed. But when I unzip that Bible and I flip to the beginning, I can see that that Bible was given to me by my parents and it has the, the date of, of my baptism is written in there. That, that's important to me, right? And it's precious to me. But my faith is not in the fact that that date's written in that Bible. My faith and my hope is the fact that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? And that, that can't burn up in a fire. God said he's going to preserve that. And, and he's never going to blot my name out, right? Uh, because I am his child forever. 
And that's the thing that we ought to encourage our children with. Yes, it's important for them to know and to remember and to be reminded of those things that they professed, those things that they did when they were baptized. But, but we don't want them to put their faith in the fact that, oh, all those years ago I, was, I, I walked an aisle and I was, I was uh, baptized after VBS, right? I, I would much rather see someone who can't really exactly remember the date they were baptized on, but they are on fire for the Lord and they are serving him in the church today. Yeah, I think one good thing about looking back at, at your baptism is that not only is that the day that you were baptized, but that's the day that the church, um, the church kind of affirmed that in you and that they agreed with your profession of faith and right. thought you were believing as well. Right. But, but clearly the Bible says, especially 1 John, our assurance should come from God's faithfulness to us in the past and are, are we, am I repenting and believing the gospel right now? And if I am, then I can be assured that I'm saved right now. If I'm not, I might still be saved, but I don't have that assurance and something's going on if I'm not repenting right now, if I'm not being faithful right now. Good. All right, are there any, any final questions? We've only got a few minutes left. I've got one final question for each of, each of y'all that I think will be, uh, be kind of quick. Um, but any other questions before we do that? All right, final round of questions for, for each of y'all. Um, and th these were questions that were submitted before uh, before tonight. Um, Jake, uh, in some, in some traditions, whenever someone's baptized, um, just anybody can baptize them. The person being baptized can choose who they want to perform the baptism of a father, mother, friend, whatever it might be. Um, would we let someone like that baptize a family member or friend here, or does it have to be a pastor here and, and why? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, the Bible is not uh, super clear that it has to be a pastor or an elder who is the one who does the baptism. Uh, so I think uh, it, there's no right or wrong answer about the, now, well, I, okay, I will say there is a wrong answer. Uh, it needs to be someone who is, who is walking with the Lord, someone who is, uh, who's, uh, not living in sin, who's not living in disobedience, right? This should be someone who is upright, who's, who's walking with the Lord. Uh, but it doesn't have to be a pastor, I would say. Uh, now, we, I don't know that we've, uh, we may have had this come up here at our church. Uh, I think the, the, the thing that we want to emphasize to the church is that uh, the church is the one who's recognizing that this person is a believer, uh, and we are recognizing that uh, that God has changed them, right? The, the symbolism of baptism. Uh, but I, if it's not an elder or a pastor doing it, that, I don't think that uh, changes the significance or, or means it's not a real baptism or anything like that. Uh, but it is significant that we understand that the church is recognizing that this baptism is being done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so as long as the person performing the baptism is walking with the Lord and, in, in good faith, uh, then I think it's, it's okay that to happen all right Matt um, how would you respond um, to a to a young person a, a child and to the child's family if we had a child who's been attending who's, who's been going to eat kids a lot um, but their families are not members of the church and the child came to you and said that they were ready to be baptized and even you had those conversations with, with them and you also thought they thought they were ready to be baptized um, but their family did not want them to be baptized. Would you even ask, ask the family, have a conversation with the family, and then what would you, what, how would you respond if the family says no? Okay. Um, 
So if the, if the family has allowed their child to come, uh, and, and of course I've seen this happen previously, but uh, many times they're okay with their child coming because they think it's just something for their child to do. It's good for them to learn morals, but oftentimes it gets real once the child begins to say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ and I want to be baptized. Um, most of the time, I think we're going to see this come up because of a different religious background uh, where they would view baptism in our church to mean something that it might mean in their church. Um, and uh, so absolutely, we want to have the conversation with them. If the child is expressing uh, a desire to, to, to be saved and be baptized, uh, we want to have that conversation with the family. Uh, anytime you're dealing with young children, you need to include uh, their parents in those conversations. Those conversations should be fairly easy, but if the parents say absolutely not, that's not happening most of the time, uh, they're going to not bring their child back, unfortunately. Uh, uh, that's been my experience is that they won't bring them if they believe their, their child is wanting to do those things. Uh, but if they say no, then we would hold off on baptism, that we would not uh, baptize a child if the parents said no. Uh, we would continue to encourage them, continue to uh, tell them to believe in, in Christ, uh, because that's something that they're doing in their heart, again, or in their life, they're believing in the Lord. We would continue to teach them, continue to encourage them. Uh, we would not tell them to, obviously, to partake in Lord's Supper or anything like that, and then we would address that once they become uh, a little older and responsible for, uh, for, for those sorts of decisions where they wouldn't have to uh, request permission from a parent. Uh, but those, those, those are things that are, are, are difficult, but uh, they do come up from time to time. Yeah. So would that answer be the same uh, no matter how old the kid is, or would it be a different answer for like elementary school kids versus high school students? Or I, I think once you get to, to, to be into high school, uh, you, can, you can have more of a discussion about what, um, you know, you know what you would do with baptism. Certainly we would want to honor parents' requests with a minor, and my minor I'm saying, you know, 16, 17-year-old kids still. But once they get to be 18 years old and they're technically an adult, I, I, I think that even though that's in our cultural context, again, that would be a United States answer. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it might be different in other places in the sure. world, but I, I think that we would want to respect that out of respect for their parents. Good. All right, and the final question for, for Josh. Um, how, how would we respond, or how in the past, how have we responded um, to someone who comes and they're attending, maybe with a family member or a friend, um, and, they, and they like the church, they like being here, they want to be involved, um, but, and even they want to join and become a member of our church, but they're, from, they're coming from a tradition where baptism is done by sprinkling or by pouring, and they've already done that in the past, and they're saying they want to be a member, they want to be here, they want to, to attend, to be part of us, but they think that they've already been baptized and they don't want to be baptized again. Yeah, that, that happens a lot, right? People change churches all the time and they come from different denominations. We, we've had it here. Um, you know, with a lot of conversation, a lot of understanding, a lot of uh, thinking through it, we would just say that to, in order to be a member of this church, you have to be baptized in water. We hope that you would do that. Uh, if you decide that you're just gonna be an attender here, uh, you know, you can't vote at a members meeting if you're not technically a member. You can, you can do that. There are still people that just attend here that have never joined the church. Um, and we would just help them to, to understand why we believe that. And I can, I can think of a handful, even in the last couple of years, that uh, grew up in the Methodist church or grew up even in the Catholic church and have come to join here in the last 
few years and we've had that very conversation and some of them there's some people attending right now that are still holding off and I'm hoping that they would you know commit to to this church um, but then there, so there are some that haven't done that but there are several like active church members now that have recently gotten baptized because we said if you're going to be a, a member of this Baptist church you need to get baptized and so uh, it's just a good, helpful conversation. Obviously, we don't think your salvation is dependent upon it, but we do think it is important, even critical, to be an active church member. Why attend a church if you're not going to be a member of that church is a, is a real conversation. It's not the most important thing in the world, but it's important to us. We think you should be an active member. Um, and we just talk like that with them. No rush. Take your time. Pray through it. Keep listening. Uh, keep serving the Lord. Keep growing. Um, yeah, so we have we have we've actually currently got it going both directions. Good. Yeah. All right, any any final things you all want to say before we close? That you didn't get to say? Yes, sir. So we make a, a, a huge emphasis that baptism doesn't save you, right? And every one of y'all have heard that. I mean that's a big deal. And the reason why is because the New Testament is so clear that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, right? That is the message and we know that and it and, and it is really really obvious and sometimes we we make the division like um more complicated than we than we should we're saved by faith in christ you do not have to be baptized to be saved there's really almost no questioning that in our minds according to the new testament but with that said Clearly, baptism is a really big deal in the New Testament. I mean, a really big deal. Um, I was reminded that when Jesus was baptized, I remember Josh made this great point, right? Uh, just last week or two weeks ago, Jesus got baptized, right? And, and John the Baptist even tried to talk him out of it. And Jesus said, no, I'm still going to be baptized. And that scene turns into an amazing scene where you've got this Holy Spirit dove the father speaking about his son. So that's a huge deal. But in that, John the Baptist said these words. Jesus said, will you baptize me? And John the Baptist said, no, I need. He said the word need. I need you to baptize me. He said that, right? And so we're not going to go back and say he had to to make it to heaven. We don't think that. We do think that baptism is a really, really big deal. It is identifying and making known and public that I'm a follower of Christ. It is linking up with your church. And so, although we are saved by faith alone in Christ, let us not act like baptism is not a big deal. Anything else? All right, well, thank you all for being here tonight. Um, let's pray and we'll be, we'll be dismissed. Father God, we thank you so much for a good, good Sunday night. God, we thank you for this topic of baptism, and God, we thank you for, um, for uh, explaining to us in the Bible what it is and why we should do it and what it does and, and all those kind of things. God, I pray you help us to be people that are, that are faithful to what your word teaches on this topic as other topics. God, I pray you'd help us to be, um, to be sensitive and, 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 and winsome toward others who are who maybe have different views than we do, that we would understand how important it is, even have conversations with them or, or um, discussions with them when it comes up naturally. Uh, but God, not to be people that are abrasive, not to be people that are, um, that are uh, 
annoying or, or, or those kind of things along this topic, God, help us to keep that balance. And God, I pray that you would help us to uh, remember our baptisms and remember what you've done in our lives since that day and how you're working in us, how you're growing in us. And God, I pray that that will continue. 